All right, we're back with the Lindroth Hockey Podcast, episode 36. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Productions, LLC. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. Episode 36. Yes, and we've got a very special guest with us here today. And as most people who listen to us know, our parent company that hosts our podcast is a Boston Bruins-based uh media publication company so we have a former brew with us here today absolutely uh jay henderson so jay played juniors in the whl from 1994 until 1998 during that time he was drafted by the boston bruins in the 97 draft and began his pro career in 98 with the uh, providence bruins what wasn't long until jay made his debut with the boston bruins during the 98 99 season as well as winning the ahl calder cup championship with providence he continued suited up for Boston and Providence over the next few years and continued playing for various teams in the AHL until 2005, eventually traveling overseas for the next few years um, before officially retiring in 2010. He is a three-time Calder Cup champion and EIHL Cup champion as well. So I know that was quite a mouthful, but thank you for joining us. Jay Henderson, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, great resume, man. Three Calder Cups. Yeah. Very, very, very fortunate. Yeah, obviously being on uh, some good teams helped that out. Uh, winning that first year in Providence obviously was a learning experience for me, being a young young kid, uh, learning from the older guys. So obviously going off to a good start, winning my first year with Providence, and then moving on to win two more after that was obviously a pretty good, a good cap to my career, no question. So, Jay, I did want to start off uh, with your days in junior hockey. So you played for the Red Deer Rebels and then the Edmonton Ice your last two years. What were your experiences like playing for the league in those years and then playing for two different teams as well? I remember I was listed by Red Deer that summer. So I was going into Red Deer's camp, more so just in looking for the fact to leave a good impression. I never had any expectation to make it that year. Uh, they were coming off uh, some pretty tough records as being a, a newer team in the league. So we ended up with five 16-year-olds on the team that first year, which is pretty rare for, for a junior team. So we took our lumps, obviously, having a younger squad. But with that, also, they were grooming towards a Mem Cup a few years later. So I was lucky enough to spend two years in Red Deer, learning from some great teammates and obviously some coaching as well. It introduced me to the junior game and uh, and getting picked up by Edmonton Ice in the expansion draft two years later. Uh, looking back, probably one of the best things that ever happened to my hockey career. Awesome. Nice. So you were selected in the ninth round in the 97 draft by the Boston Bruins. We always love to have um, guests that uh, actually are fortunate enough to be drafted to share um, any draft stories or any funny stories or anything concerning your draft. I'm glad I didn't go to the draft. That's probably the best story. It would have been a, a long ass day. Sorry, pardon my language, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. And I was playing, I think somewhere in the sixth round is what the predictions were. So obviously talking to my agent before the draft, obviously it wasn't going to go and sit there for, for a minimum six rounds waiting through it. So I uh, watched the first uh, few rounds on TV at home and then uh, ended up getting a phone call. And first phone call was uh, from my agent. And second one was from Mike O'Connell from the Boston Bruins saying I have some good news and some bad news. And I said, okay, well, I'll take the bad news first. And he said, you, you got picked up. You didn't get picked up as soon as you wanted to, of course. And at that point, it didn't really matter to me. I was just happy being the, the product of an organization at that point. So, yeah, I, the question for, uh, and this is, again, just coming from fans that uh, have no idea about the business side. You want to be drafted early, but in the end, it really doesn't matter, does it? Just like you said, I mean. 
Yeah, I mean, I think more expectation going early is probably the biggest thing for some of those people getting drafted in the first couple of rounds. Because I think that expectation to, to make a, a quick difference and a drastic change to the organization is a lot of pressure for these young kids. Uh, for myself, going, I remember the, the Boston Bruins actually traded, I think, the, the second last pick for the last pick in that draft with Colorado. And the reason for that, I was told, was to open up the draft with picking Joe Thornton, of course, and then closing the draft. Obviously, with me, it worked out very well for me at, at that point. So, yeah, we had um, a recent guest. He actually plays in the East Coast League, uh, uh, and he was on a, about a month ago. And and we're we're actually based in Tulsa. I don't know if we told you that or not. Um, so we're actually so uh, we follow the uh, Tulsa Oilers, the East Coast League here. And one of the guys we had on, he was uh, eventually drafted by uh, Detroit, but the first draft he went to. He wasn't picked up and he like spent all his money bringing his mom there, you know, typical, <laughs> typical uh, Ontario kid where, you know, didn't have much money and didn't get drafted. So he didn't go to the draft the next year, but he actually ended up getting drafted. But yeah, I would imagine that would be an embarrassing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We felt bad for the, for the guy, Andrew, go ahead. So after you were drafted, you did play one more year in the WHL, but I had noticed after you finished that final year, you had gotten signed, picked up right away, and you played about 11 games with Providence. I mean, what was that transition like playing with, you know, teenagers to suddenly guys that are about to make the NHL? Yeah, that had beards. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So it, it was my fourth year junior. Um, there was talk, of course, of me signing a contract after that season. Um, so I had the option towards the end of that season to, to get traded to a WHL contender. And, you know, I want to stay loyal and let the Edmontonites know that I prefer to stay loyal, knowing that there was potential that I would be back next year as well for my fifth and final year. So I ended up signing a contract, um, finishing the last 11 games that year with Providence in the American League. I think that was a you know, great experience for me going back into uh, to have that in my back pocket, heading into that 98-99 season being my first pro year. So getting those uh, 11 games under my belt was, for me, drastic, I think. You know, I learned a pro game a little bit. Um, got some ice time, of course, at that pro level. The game happens much quicker, much faster. Decisions obviously happen that much quicker as well. So it was nice going into that my that camp that following year, having those experiences in my back pocket to rely on for sure. And so, what led to your decision then? Because I, I like to ask this question a lot, especially the guys that played collegiate hockey before. Um, you know, it was you know looked at as you know. I mean, a lot of players now are drafted from college hockey. Um, but what what led your decision to playing juniors? instead of going to school or anything, was it always on your mind that you wanted to become a professional hockey player or was it a different decision? Yeah, that was, that was my dream growing up. I, I remember talking to my parents about that. Obviously I had some options of going the, the college route. And I remember my dad saying to me, you know, obviously do you want to focus on hockey first school and second, or do you want to focus on school first hockey second? Um, and that, he left that decision up to me and I chose to, to go the, with the Western hockey route. Um, I thought it was, and the reason I chose that was at that time I figured a lot more similar to the pro game, you know, there's this, the long schedules. It introduces those games, you know, you know, trying out for things, longer schedule, tough schedules, tough hockey. So that was the reason I chose the wrestling route. You know, looking back on it, it's, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to have that school in your back pocket, you know, if hockey doesn't work out. Um, and, and, you know, when, you, when things are all said and done, you, you had to know whatever what, you had that school in your back pocket, then you could focus on hockey. So if it was my kids today, I don't know. I would love to leave that up to them uh, to make that decision. But for me at the time, it felt right to go the, the Western Hockey League route. So at what approximately what age did you actually go, hey, you know, I'm turning heads, uh, seem to be doing well. Maybe 
I can be a pro hockey player. It happened very quickly for me, to be honest. I remember playing uh, my last year, Bound AAA. I think I was a point of game guy, nothing too fancy, nothing crazy, just, you know, hard worker, tripping here and there a little bit when I can. And then, you know, I, I worked hard, very hard that age, you know, 15, 16. I remember I was fortunate enough to be able to work out with Jerome McGinley and guys like that at a gym called Panther Gym here in Edmonton. So get to see how these guys actually put the work into it prior to going into the game it was great for me just to see that behind the scenes, what it takes. So that was uh, the biggest thing for me was just to see how that pro game is and compare the what what your body needs and your I guess more so mentally what you need to have in that pro headspace for sure. So a uh, couple questions here from me. Um, you, you know, you you played in ninety eight ninety nine. You played a handful of uh, uh, games in the in the NHL for the Bruins. What was your experience like to finally, first of all, to get the call up? And then uh, we've heard some interesting stories about getting there, getting into the locker room, uh, meeting the captain, and then, of course, the pregame skate and that moment where you, where you said, hey, I made it. You know, this is, you know, my dream just happened. Whatever happens after this may happen. But what, what was uh, that story like for you, the call up? getting there, getting situated, and then the, you know, maybe you didn't have an I made it moment. I don't know. Yeah, I think it happened also quick. Like I say, we finished that last year, junior, and then, you know, those last 11 games of that year, everything happened pretty quick for me. Signing the contract, flying to Providence, you know, playing my first game. Things were happening pretty quick. So looking back, it, the memories were great. But at the time, I, it's like I didn't really have time to really focus and take that appreciation in, which is probably a better thing. And, you know, instead of being nervous and stuff, you're just trying to do your job, right? But I remember myself, I'm a diabetic. I was diagnosed at the age of 12. So I have a little funny story for my first year for you guys. Uh, during those 11 games, I was, you know, we played, it was a, a home and home with Worcester. And we played on, on a uh, Saturday at home against Worcester. After that game, uh, my blood sugar was dropping. And I remember the, the elevator in the hotel was broken. So I, I was on a higher floor, of course. So I took the obviously stairs up to my bedroom and ended up having a, a low blood sugar attack, you know, throughout the night. And team bus was leaving the following afternoon, and I ended up missing that team bus. And, of course, the trainer knew I was diabetic, but it hadn't gone around yet that I was a diabetic. So everybody, like, you know, where's Jay? And that night, and, uh, there was a fish concert, you know, and the rumblings of the team started happening. You know, what did Jay get himself into last night? You know, he's new here. Did he go to the concert, get himself into something, right? So, obviously, the trainers got that all sorted out for me, and I ended up missing that game. They took me to the hospital just to get my blood sugar all straightened out and, and ended up being fine. But... Yeah, I'm sure there's a, a few faces like, what kind of player did we design here? What is this guy up to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially a fish concert. That's uh, yeah. that's weed and shrooms, you yeah, know. He's... Exactly. Uh, well, that was the, the headspace of those guys, right? Like, is this guy here for the right reasons? Or what is his uh, scenario? What's he here for? But yeah, a little bit of a funny story. And, you know, I'm glad everyone else took it in and, and I was safe at the end of the day. That's all that really matters. Awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about the call up to the Bruins. Dream come true. I remember getting that phone call and that, like I say, that, that really sat in. I remember being in my apartment, almost being surprised. I was, you know, shocked and you work your whole life to get that phone call. And then it happens pretty quick. And I remember the first game was in Montreal. So, you know, obviously had a little bit of practice time with Boston and dream come true. I remember just, you know, all those times where you're around and you just see all these familiar faces that you recognize. And I remember, you know, we're going out for practice. Pat Burns was the coach of the Bruins at the time. And Bob Yor was standing in the hallway. So I, I went over and obviously I wanted to introduce myself and meet him just to, to say that I had the opportunity, right? And he ended up talking, you know, great man was talking to me for about five minutes. And I'm watching all these, my teammates walking onto the ice at this point. And 
being a first year guy, I was nervous of, you know, obviously just want to be out there early and make sure I was putting work in and people were noticing. And I remember, you know, I was still talking to, to Bobby and just, you know, trying to get taken as much as I can talking to him. And, you know, Pat Burns walks by and I'm like, oh, I got to get going here. They're going to start a practice. You know, what's going <laughs> to, that's the last thing I need. So I'm, I'm trying to speed it up, but also be respectful to Bobby or, of course, not wanting to, to ditch him, right? So, you know, so I'm, I enjoyed the conversation, of course, and then, you know, started rushing the ice, being one of the last guys on that day. And then finally, <laughs> Pat Burns came up, skated beside him. He's like, no, we're going to, we're waiting for you to finish. Take as long as you need to talk to that man, right? So it was really neat to just be around those familiar faces and, and be able to actually enjoy it and not just be a, a, a blur in a pan, right? Yeah, absolutely. So... Not only did you make your NHL debut that season, but like we had mentioned earlier, you did win the Calder Cup championship in your, you know, your first actual pro year playing hockey. We actually had on Terry Virtue on the show about two months ago, and we talked to him about that team. And you probably see, too, on the Boston Bruins and Providence Bruins social media, they always post about that championship year. Terry said that that team is probably one of the best, if not the best, AHL teams of all time so confirm or deny jay <laughs> how good was that team back then especially you're your three time three-time winner so you played on some good teams i would put that team up against anybody it was it, it was a magical year so i don't know if you guys are familiar the year before province finished dead last in the league i believe it was yeah yep. so they made a bunch of changes obviously that summer throughout so obviously some draft picks were signed and such a uh, new head coach was Peter Laviolette, um, being a younger new guy in, in league. He came from the East Coast League, so he was trying to make a name for himself as well. And it just seemed that there was a, a, a lot of headspace there was to prove people wrong, I think it was, and end up signing some key guys and bringing in some, some bigger names and such. But it was just a, a year that everything seemed to go our way, and we could play tough, we could play hard, we could play fast. We, you know, We set a record that year scoring 10 goals in one period. So it was one of those magical years that everything, you know, with less injuries, it just seemed everything worked out well and a good group of guys. The, everyone was close-knit. Everyone got along. We were in separate cliques. It was just a magical year all around. So to compare that team day, I would agree and say that uh, I would put that team up against anyone, at least any of the American League teams that I played for. Awesome. So when you look back at your, at your junior career, you were clearly a goal scorer. And when you finally made it to the NHL, did your role kind of change a little bit? Uh, were you uh, talked to to kind of be more of a checker agitator and, you know, type of intimidator guy? Uh, what was that uh, change? Yeah, I mean, obviously playing the Western League, you had to be – I remember my, my first game was against Brandon as a 16-year-old. And I remember off the face-off, there was a line brawl. And I was absolutely petrified, thinking, what did I get myself into? You know, I'm 158 pounds, you know, 5'11 or 5'10, whatever I was at the time. You know, going up a guy like Chris Dingman, I remember like, Jesus, you know, am I, am I cut out for this? And you start to question yourself a little bit, right? But, uh, look, you know, I, I, like I, I, we mentioned earlier, getting picked up by Empton in the expansion draft, that was the best thing for me. Uh, getting picked up from Red Deer, going to Empton in the expansion draft. My role changed into a, a key role, more of the offensive side of things. I was an older guy. Um, Ryan McGill ended up being our head coach there. Then I, I learned a lot of the pro game and, a lot of, you know, it was expected me to be the guy to produce. So I think those two years in Empton obviously helped me being a key guy like that. And then going into Boston's camp, my very first pro year, I ended up getting into a, a few fights in the, in the exhibition season. And I remember Peter Lavalette called me into his office. He said, I had no idea you could even play that way. He goes, not that I want you to, but there, there's a big role here for you if you're able to play that way. You know, contribute offensively when you can, but also go in and, and mix things up, draw penalties and fight. 
and I enjoyed it. I really did. It's not like I wanted to just go and fight for the sake of fighting. I enjoyed that part of the game. You know, the intimidation factor, the old school hockey. I love the way that is. That's the one thing I think today's game is missing. I think the skill is unbelievable and, and probably better than ever, but just that intimidation. And uh, I miss that side of the game. But to me, I enjoyed it and I had fun. And that was the biggest thing for me was just to, to play that style of hockey, whichever way you wanted to play. Yeah. And do you still see that style of hockey coming back at all? You know, obviously maybe not the, the enforcer role, the boo guards of the league, let's say, but uh, I mean, do you think now with that whole Wilson situation with the New York Rangers this past season, things like that, do you think that you're going to start seeing more teams adapting a more physical style? Just realizing, I mean, there's guys like Wilson that will maybe take some liberties and you gotta, gotta have somebody to take care of that. I hope they never eliminate that. I think the direction the game is going is speed and skill. And I think that's never going to change. You know, you look at a guy like Connor McDavid, who's, you know, it's just so much fun to watch. So I think the game is going that way. Uh, a lot of skill, a lot of speed. Um, you are seeing the bigger bodies again starting to filter in. When I played, you could be a terrible skater and be six foot six and still go in the first round, right? So it's <laughs> more of a project. Those projects are, I think, are happening a lot quicker now than they used to. Um, you know, even back when we played, of course, you'd have to wait till Monday to go over the VHS tape to see how you did on Friday night, right? So it wasn't a lot of, and now everything's at, at your fingertips or on the bench and they need answers immediately. Back in the day, we'd wait till, you know, the following Monday or Tuesday, wherever it was to get answers from the coach when give me a chance, review the tape, and we'll go over it with you. You know, so I think having the answers at your, your fingertips right now, it just, things happen a lot quicker. The puck movement happens a lot quicker. And then you can watch it immediately on the bench as soon as you're back, right, with the iPad. So I think the uh, going back, I, you watch playoff hockey and you get that physical side. And I think hockey's always going to need that. Or I think, I hope they're going to require that. But I do think the direction the game's going is definitely more speed, more skill. And it's fun to watch that way as well. But I wish they had a good mix of both. We talked to a few uh, players from, from the 90s that uh... – uh, that were similar to yourself, played in the NHL, uh, predominantly in the AHL. And they kind of talked about in the 90s that it was it, it got to the point where it was very difficult for uh, guys that had a two-way deal to actually get the ice time, get the call-ups. And even if you got the call-ups, you knew you were going to be sent back down at some point because you had so many one-way guys. Was that kind of a – did you run into that in the late 90s? I was probably luckier in that side of things being a, a late round pick, but I think that pressure with the earlier picks, right? I think, you know, if you're a first round, you're expected to sign, you're expected to play and you're expected to contribute. No question. Right. I think now, um, obviously with the way things are going with the, the, the skill and the size of the players and stuff, I think things are happening much quicker. And obviously with injuries and stuff, it all depends on opportunity is a big part of it too. The, you know, what club is it, you know, where do you fit into that club? You know, is it injuries? So I think a lot of that outside factors into that as well. But I do see that going now is, you know, we draft here, you, we have you slated, and it's more progressive along the way is what I see. And you're expected to slide in at some point instead of back in the day, we'll send you the Myers, you know, spend two or three years there to learn the pro game and then, you know, earn your keep and work your way up. I think now it's the younger kids are expected to make it a younger age and work with the coaches. You see a lot of these, you know, the skill development coaches. There's so many different coaches adding to these teams staff now. Where and that's, I think a big part of that is to help those younger players start producing at a younger age. And do you think, and did you experience some of these younger players, like I said, if they were in their early round of the draft, um, did they have troubles coping of not getting called up? I mean, just because you're a second, third rounder doesn't mean you're ever going to play in the NHL. You coming from a deep in the round, but you pay your dues, you work hard. 
um, you got rewarded for that. But some of these younger, early, uh, earlier picks, I should say, sometimes never make it. Do they kind of flounder a little bit in the AHL where they kind of expected a call up, but they're not getting it because they're not producing? Not sure if I'm phrasing what I want to correctly. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, it's hard for me to say. Obviously, I was on the opposite end of that where I was probably never expected to play an NHL game and stuff. So um, I would have to put my headspace thinking likely like that. I'm sure it does. You know, if you're, you know, a first round pick and you're having trouble, you're not getting much ice time, wherever the case may be in the American Hockey League. When you're drafted early, the expectation is that you're going to play, right? And you're going to contribute and be a key guy. That's why they're, they're investing their time and money into you. Um, I'm sure that is the case. I can't say yes or no if that is. You know, I, I play with a lot of people that were selected in the first round, and um, I think the pressure is there and how you deal with it. I think that's up to the individual himself. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Like, even with the with we'll just pick the Bruins since we cover the Bruins quite a bit. I mean, the Bruins have had several first round picks, and they're just up and down, and they just don't seem to be able to find a place on the on the team. How much pressure do you think they get, uh, you know, considering, I mean, we'll go with the dreaded 2015 draft where, you know, Sweeney picked, uh, was it Sinishin and, and, and Zaboral and, and DeBrusque over Barzell. I mean, he's got to live that horror down. Sweeney does, but those guys have never really made it to the Bruins full time. What's the pressure you think for those players and the pressure on the GM who made those deals? Yeah, I don't know who would have um, the pressure, I guess, happens on the GM's lap, right? And you can say, you know, we took this player over this player every year. There's also, you know, 30 other teams who also made that same mistake, right? So, you know, obviously having a good scouting department is very important in today's day and age. Um, luck is still a big part of it as well, right? I, I do believe that um, there's, there's no reason, you know, some years it works out and you end up drafting very well. And obviously having a, a good scouting department and the people that put the work in is going to make a difference in that. But you know, I, I think, you know, every year the, the first and second round picks, you should, those guys should be playing at the end of the day, I believe, right? You're investing time and money into these first rounds. Obviously, there's tougher years over, you know, some years are better than the others and such like that. But, you know, timing, luck, injury, there's a lot of that. You know, you, you could have a high pick in, in the minors that just because you're an NHL team, you know, you have three or four good lines and there's no room and no injuries throughout that. You can lose players that way as well, right? And they have signing elsewhere. So, there's multiple reasons things don't work out. It's not always just the draft or, you know, there's injuries, there's timing, uh, opportunity. There's so many factors that go into it. And you can do that every year. You can look at the draft and say, you know, why didn't we pick him over him? And, you know, obviously that's easy in hindsight is 2020. But, you know, having a good scouting department and, and the pressure, I think, for sure, is on these GMs to make sure you do get it right. So you go on to obviously win two more Calder Cup championships. That's what we talked about earlier. But out of the three, which final series – was the most intense or most memorable out of all three that you were a part of? I, well, I remember in Milwaukee, we actually, our first series went seven games, second series went six games, third series went five games, and then we have sweep in the, the finals. So it was interesting in Milwaukee, it seemed to get easier and easier as it went, which is usually the opposite, right? Um, that first year in Providence, you know, I didn't play a lot in those games. I, I obviously got to watch a lot of those playoff games and learn a lot and, and seeing the difference of playoff hockey compared to the regular season hockey. So, you know, not being a big part of it, but witnessing that and taking it in and seeing the experience of what it's like, I would say Providence winning my first championship was, a, you know, the, I'm not saying the most important, but I think it definitely helped me down the road to see what a winning team does have and what the makeup of those teams is. 
Yeah, and so what is it like winning? I mean, the, let's just go with the Calder Cup championship. I know obviously it's no uh, Stanley Cup, but I mean, some players who even grinded and played in both the NHL and NHL never win anything. So is there obviously a great sense of pride winning that trophy, or is it kind of like, yeah, that was cool, but I mean, we prefer to win the Stanley Cup, or is it still, I mean, obviously going through the playoff series, I mean, it's got to be worth it in the end, no matter what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, you could be playing, you know, recently, at, at recess in school and you know you're playing floor hockey i think if you're competitive you just want to win no matter what the, the league is right that's right it, it's it's hard, it's hard winning is a hard thing to do and you know it, it takes perseverance and, and a lot of luck on your side of things um obviously the dream growing up was to win a stanley cup i never had the opportunity for that yet of course but um yeah the first one i, I think is the most important and learning to learn what it takes to win and see different versions of and and the makeup of a team is the ultimate is it's actually fascinating to me on what, how to build a winner. You don't have to have the best players necessarily, or, you know, the best goalie, but I can use an example like the Montreal Canadiens this year. I don't think anyone in the league would have picked them, but I think from day one, you can see that the team bought into what they were selling. And I think when you see that buy-in um, and that, and to me, that comes with some of the character of the people you bring in, you need your high-end guys, of course, and you need goaltending at the right times, but you mix in those character guys. And I think that shows, and I can't put my finger on it exactly, but I think a lot of those character guys, you know, it just, it keeps the room light. It keeps guys on edge. It holds people accountable. There's all sorts of forms that, that go into it behind the scenes, in my opinion. And, I, you know, I can't put my finger on it, but I do believe you need those character guys in order to win. Yeah. So you continued playing your career overseas after your stint in the AHL and you played in the Dell, as we call it, the DEL, the German Pro League, the EBEL in Austria, and then the EIHL in the UK, where you ended up winning another championship. So we've heard, um, stories from previous guests that the fan bases, although it might be smaller, that they can be pretty wild over there. So which uh, fan base out of all three of the leagues you played in overseas was probably the craziest fan base you played for? I would say Germany, no question. It's, it's very similar to a soccer environment. I don't know if you, you guys ever watched a game or not, but the fans are jumping, they're banging on drums all game long. Prior to the game, you know, they're in the rink two hours before I remember that a big rivalry was with us in Mannheim in the DL with Frankfurt and the fans uh, were very competitive with each other. And it was just, a, it was really neat experience that everyone's jumping and rocking on this team. You can feel it, right? It's, it's a different environment, but it's very passionate fans. No question. And so considering all the professional leagues that you played for, excluding the NHL, which one paid the best? Because we heard some of the overseas leagues, they pay pretty well. Yeah, the most money I made, obviously not comparing to the, you know, taking away the National Hockey League and time up, the most money I made to make at that time was in the DEL. Um, my last year in the DEL was kind of the end of that. They were trying to, you know, get back more so on the North American side. So I think you started seeing salaries decrease after my last year in Germany. Gotcha. So um, we have had on players that have played in the UK and believe it or not, our demographics we get from our uh, parent company, we actually have quite a few listeners in from the UK, which is great. So we love to throw those listeners um, in the UK. What was it like uh, playing in the UK and what, what city were you in? I ended up with, in Nottingham, which was, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, and after being in Germany and Austria for a year, uh, the, you know, learning a little bit of the German language. It was nice to actually go to a country where you can speak English and order off the menu, right? So um, at that point in my career, I was just, it was a neat way for me to travel, doing something I loved, got to see different countries. 
Uh, my daughter was born in Frankfurt, so obviously a nice cool story for that down the road as well, right? So it was just a neat way. I, was, I still love playing the game. Obviously, you know, my skill was somewhat decreasing towards the end of my career, and I knew the, the end was coming. So I decided to take that in and try and enjoy the, the road trips and the countries and as much as you could. Looking back on it, you know, obviously winning some of the Calder Cups was great, but I love my time in Europe, no question. I probably would have gone over sooner knowing what I know now. So uh, we asked this of, of players that have grinded it out in your career and get and were rewarded like yourself. What does it take to be uh, to be able to make it to the NHL to be a uh, uh, to be a pro hockey player, but to make it to the NHL? And you you know some people could say, "Oh, it was a little bit of luck," but I mean we know that's bullshit. It's sacrifice. Is a lot of things. It's determination. Um, so. In your own words, what does it take to be uh, playing in the best league in the world? I know what it took for me, and that's all I can speak for. I think if you're, you know, you're an early picker or someone different skill level, whatever that skill set might be different. I know for a fact there's no way I would have ever made the NHL without the work ethic I had. Um, it was my dream. You know, I didn't party as a teenager. I didn't, you know, I was I was rollerblading. I was working out, doing it, and, and it was more for love. That wasn't just his work, and I was going to put the time. And you know, I enjoyed putting work in. I enjoyed treating my body well. You know, I, I it was just a dream of mine. And you know, I played hockey, and I, I was fortunate enough to do it. But no question, hard work, determination—you can't get there without that. Yes, luck is a part of it. You know, it, it depends on you know where you get drafted. You know, who's your coach? Um, there's so many you know secret recipes that work up to it. You know, it's, it's having people in your corner, having a support system. Uh, people you can rely on in the day and, and take away some of those worries. So I do think there is a number of reasons that you do get there um, without hard work and determination, you know, and having a skill, of course, it starts with that. But I think there's a lot of minor things that do add up to that formula as well. So who were some of those key players that um, helped you out? Or when I say key players, I don't mean hockey players, but key people, I should say, that were in your corner and, and helped make things happen for you. For me, it's my family. Um, very, very grateful. And I'm sure a lot of people say family all the time, but I mean it. There's um, even the amount of you know funds it took for my parents to put us to me and my brothers through hockey and stuff growing up, right? So you know, having that in my back system, and I remember my dad saying, you know, at the we were talking about the school or the Western Hockey route, and you know, focus on hockey, focus on school, your choice, but you're going to do both. But what the, those two things you're doing, do them right. It was more so doing things the proper way, doing things the right way. Uh, and I know for me, that's what it took. So, you know, I'm grateful for it. And having my support with the family um, was the biggest thing. You know, my brother was always supportive. You know, my family has always been supportive. To me, that's the most important part is family. Yeah, and so a lot of young adults, I know, I'm only 24, but in, even going from the ages up to 16 to my age, a lot of uh, young adults' issues is focus and discipline. So I know that this is kind of in lieu of what my father just asked, but especially as Somebody that's 16, you know, you figured out, you know, I think I may want to go the WHL route. Um, I want to be a pro hockey player. I mean, obviously, you probably weren't out partying and, and doing high school uh, hooligan shenanigan type things all the time with your friends. So what was the focus and discipline that you had to have as a younger kid, teenager to, I mean, to have that hard work ethic translate as you were getting older well, to he, make it. To he didn't road. go to any fish concerts. That's yeah, sure. no. yeah. <laughs> that was number one on my list was to avoid fish concerts, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I think even my, the group of friends I had, you know, we were more into to athletic sports, you know, whether it's golfing or rollerblading, whatever it was, it was more just that, that was what we did for fun. It wasn't, we weren't looking for trouble and, and there's, there's nothing wrong if that's, you know, not that that's trouble, but some people enjoy having parties and stuff at that time in my life, it was more important to me. I'd enjoyed going for rollerblades, playing street hockey, you know, those types of things working out. Um, and, you know, and part of that, like I mentioned earlier was when I was working out at Panther gym, seeing some of those, up and coming NHL, the current NHL players, you know, the size of their bodies, what they do, how they train. And, you know, me being a young kid, 14, 15, a scrawny kid, I knew I had a lot of work and a lot of time to put in to be able to get to that level. And that's not even talking skill. That's just be able to that level of, you know, size, strength, and that sort of thing, right? So um, I guess seeing that at a younger age maybe helped direct me to, to the hockey side or understand that's what I knew what it took. To answer your question, I'm not sure if that's proper or not, but. Absolutely. Are you part of the uh, Bruins Alumni Association? I, 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 I'm, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm actually labeled on there. I have on Twitter and everything like that. I'm part of it, but I don't know for a fact if I'm on their actual alumni or not. And so considering then all the leagues that you've played for, I always like to ask this question, especially some of the tougher guys that played, what was the toughest line you're part of? And this could count from WHL days as well. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That's a hell of a question. Uh, you, you know what? And I, I'm going to put going back to my Red Deer days. You know, there was guys like Pete Bandemir. I played with Aaron Asham. You know, we were both 16-year-olds. So it was not to say that we were the toughest, but more so maybe the willingness and, you know, more of a drive line, that kind of thing. Um, I never considered myself a heavyweight. You know, I never wanted to fight heavyweights. So I knew I wasn't a heavyweight in that weight class altogether. But, you know, to, to be that competitive, be those, those middleweight type of guys, I think I would put more so on the red deer. I'm sure if I look back and start going through my career, I could pick, point out a few lines. You know, I played with Aaron Downey in Providence, guys like that who, who were obviously very tough. So um, I was fortunate to be able to play with some tough guys. To answer that question off the top of my head, I, I don't know what I would say right now without having enough time to think about it properly. Now, didn't you fight Aaron Ash in the NHL? I did. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a decent fight. Nothing great. Um, you know, it, it was in Montreal. I remember fighting Aaron. Uh, he was one of my buddies again, but we just knew that that's what we were there for, and why not, right? We're it was our, I think it was our first year at that point, and just trying to make a name and prove yourself, right? So you know, I used Aaron, he used me, and so it's good to kind of have that relationship a little bit. Yeah. So I mean. I know that when, when guys talk about it and we've, we've had guys on that just say, you know, it's part of the job, you know, whatever, we're, we're friends, we'll have a beer afterwards. I mean, when you're in the moment in the game, what is that mindset? I mean, you're about to fight a good maybe childhood friend or something. Is it really just that big of a no big deal type thing? Is it just, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, that's what it turns out to be. I, mean, I think going, I learned at a younger age in the Western league, right? You know, you, you practice with passion, you play with passion and, and, and that's the way it was. I was raised, I'm a passionate person, you know, fight or flight type guy. I'm going to fight every chance I have. Right. So, um, yeah, it was it just one of those things that you, you did it and you learned and, and you did it for the team in the moment or to, to change the momentum of the game. There's multiple reasons for it. And, you know, all, even when you're frustrated, it's nice to get, you know, instead of smashing your stick against the glass, you just want to go out and you have a good fight and feel good about yourself. Right. So, there's different reasons for fighting, but, um, you know, change the, the spirit of the game wherever. I just enjoyed every aspect of it. Yeah, so um, you went on to become an assistant coach in the WHL for the Kootenai Ice. I hope I'm saying that right. Now, when I was doing my research, it said that you were still the assistant coach. Are you still coaching the team? 
No, I was I was in Kootenay for two years. Um, worked under Ryan McGill. It turned into a, it's a great friend of mine, a great knowledgeable man who's now in Las Vegas as an assistant coach. So I was very fortunate uh, to, you know, be, I, was, I made this comment the other day. As a player, I wish I would have had that knowledge as a coach because I know I would have been that much better. And when I talk about knowledge, it's the, the detail that goes into the, the systems that you're taught. Everyone knows systems in hockey and, you know, they can change drastically, but now it's, it's creating two on ones really, really, really quick. It's, it's speed. It's the, the game is changing to, to a fast pace, right? So looking at the details of the coach and seeing the detail that he put into it, I wish I could have gone back with that knowledge and detail, start over at 16 with that in my back pocket. There's no question. I think I would have been a better player. So as a coach, I think coaching, you know, if you want to talk to coaches, you, I'm sure the coaches have all said things have changed more drastically probably in the last five, six years than, the, you know, the previous 15 for that, right? And again, it's going back to those younger guys and, and having answers and immediate fixes instead of, you know, long-term fixes. So, yeah, the game has changed. And to be able to, to see the detail that goes into coaching, um, I was glad I was able to do that and learn from a great man for sure. And so do you miss the game at all? Will you be coaching again in the future or anything like that? Because when I, when I was trying to research you up, I didn't find anything else other than you had started to coach in the Kootenai Ice in 2013, right? I mean, that was a lot. That's when you joined the team. Yeah, I've been, uh, been out of coaching for, for a number of years now. Um, to say I'm out of hockey, I would say no. I still love hockey. I'm still passionate about hockey. The right opportunity were to come up, I would absolutely jump at it. Um, you know, but it's also you have you know, family to take care of. You have you know, a rent or a mortgage to pay, you know, bill payments coming out. So it all has to work out for the you know, aligned property for me. But you know, I've, I've always loved hockey. I've always been passionate about hockey and say I'm out of hockey for good. That would be a lie. So we have our lightning round, which we're going to just ask a very fast questions. You don't have to answer fast. If you've got a story, share it. But if you just have a one or two word answer, that's fine, too. It's almost like word association, isn't it? Right, yeah. So here we go. Here we go, Jay. Which hey, I'll do my player, best. <laughs> which player had the ability to get under your skin the most? Great question. Wow. I'm going to pass that one for now. Let me think about that one. I'm sorry. Okay. Which goalie was the toughest to play against? Wow, you guys. You should send this to me earlier so I can actually get some for you. save it all for the end. <laughs> Off the top here. Jesus. My brain's not working quick enough right now. Well, you can pass on that. We'll get back to it. How about yeah, this Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. I want to answer as best I can, right? Just to throw a name out there, to, to throw a name. I don't want to do that for you guys, so I'm going to pass for now. Okay. What was the favorite arena to play in? And this could be from any time in your career, your favorite arena to play in. Uh, I'm going to say Fleet Center in Boston. Just, you know, NHL arena, the opportunity to, to be in an NHL arena. That was a goal for mine. And I would say the Fleet Center in Boston, no question. Considering all the pro leagues you played in, which arena had the worst ice conditions? England, for sure. England. You know, and who did we – was it Sylvain? Yeah, Cloutier. Cloutier, yeah. He said England, too. Did he say Nottingham? No. You didn't play with Sylvain in Nottingham, right? Sylvain Cloutier, no. Is that who you're talking about? I played yeah. in Houston. I played with him in Houston, uh, never in England, though. I think he was there a few years prior to me. Um, That's right. yeah. There was a city called Hull in uh, in England. And to me, that was the worst ice that I can remember being on anything. Basically. 
Gotcha. He might have said the same one. That's yeah, interesting. Whole, yeah, we'll, that's we'll have to look at this. Uh, all right, my oh, sorry, yep. my turn. Okay, favorite coach. Who is your favorite coach? Mike Sullivan. Okay. Um, I know that this is a very broad question, but just obviously that first memory that jumps to your head when you say, what was your favorite hockey memory in your pro career? Scoring my first goal with my mom in the building. Oh, awesome. nice. Where was NHL it? NHL goal. Sorry, first NHL goal. Where was that? With my mom, with my mom in the building. It was in what? Boston against Montreal. Awesome. Oh, sorry, against New York Rangers. My apologies. Against okay. New York Rangers. But it was in Boston, though. In Boston, yeah. yeah Kirk McLean was in that. All right, so we'll just circle around to the player that can get under your skin the most. You know, Vandermeer was somebody a lot of guests have said. I know you played with him, but a lot of people have said Vandermeer was a that's true somebody to get under his their yeah, skin. Yeah, a lot of people don't like yeah. that guy. <laughs> I, I was fortunate to play with Pete in in uh, in Red Deer as well, and then in Providence as well. So I was fortunate enough to be able to play with these guys, and I know they're difficult to play against. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to label myself as one of those people. I you know obviously not as tough as Pete to get under your skin as much as that, but. You know, not, I, was, I can honestly say I don't think I was ever in, intimidated or nervous or, you know, I, Travis, you know, I, I, there's just so many names that, you know, every, every team had one of those guys that face off, right? So <laughs> and I knew, you know, there's one of those four wingers coming out and every game you had one of those guys. And, you know, to say, you know, I, I, I played against Pete when he was in Rochester, right? And I was in Providence, but. You know, guys like Pete and, and, and myself is who I would come up with, but there's there's so many guys that you can list, you know, and there's not one that jumps out, to be honest. Cool. Jay, we can't thank you enough. Uh, we yeah. had a great time talking your career and just talking some hockey in general. We can't thank you enough for uh, coming on our podcast. Yeah, thank you again, man. Hey, my, my pleasure, guy. I really appreciate you having me on. Let me know what anything I can do for you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah hang on one sec. We're just going to pause this recording and we'll say goodbye off air. Great guy to talk to, like all of our guests. We always say everybody's great. Super nice guy. Yeah. Great stories. Yeah, it's always great to have a former Boston Bruin on. I know that we talk all hockey news, all hockey teams, but uh, because of our parent company and because, you know, it is our favorite team. Right, ever. we are diehard Bruins fans. So, you know, we're going to show a little bit of bias. So it's always nice to have a Bruins uh, guy on. But you know what, Sue Dad, as a young fan who doesn't understand the 98-99 Providence team and always seeing those posts on social media for years on end, it is pretty nice to talk to some of those players that played on the team, especially, you know, Jay Henderson, but Terry Virtue, who's the captain of the team and, you know, hearing how good that team was and just learning some history on these guys. It so. is, but I have to take a little offense with you. You kind of uh, played down the Calder cup and you're just like, well, it's not the Stanley cup. Did you guys really care? It's like, what, what are you talking about? It's like, I won the Stanley keg in my beer league back <laughs> You know, playing in Florida, what, five times? Hey, you're talking to a musician. You didn't let me play too many sports, all right? So <laughs> the whole championship but, thing, I don't exactly. understand. I mean, we but... thought it was a Stanley Cup, you yeah, know? You know, I mean, I don't know how these players feel, you know? So, you know, I like to ask those questions. But, um, yeah, no, we appreciate everybody coming on episode 36. Now 36. we do have That's our right. first – we're going to have some different guests now. Um, we still right. are doing player guests, but our big thing is we wanted to get former scouts, referees, and everything. So next week we have former linesman coming on. Okay. I don't have his name off the top of my head. I've been at work quite a bit, but he uh, was a linesman in the AHL, ECHL, and I think some other European leagues. 
And this is going to be fun for us because we will ask fan base questions about referees. Right. And, you know, they. I'm sure they, they got good fan stories. Too. And I, we'll, we'll ask this guy some questions about the officiating in the, uh, in the playoffs this season, which has not been stellar. And uh, I don't know if the guy's still looking for a gig, maybe he won't say anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If he's, if he's a retired linesman, maybe he'll just kind of say, yeah, this is tough. But we'll, we'll get the inside scoop of, of being a referee yep. and going through that. And uh, it'll be fun. And the following week, we'll also have a different kind of guest. And, you know, I, I didn't want to mention him because I forgot the team that he was uh, the GM for in the OHL for about a decade or a little less than a decade. But uh, Jeff Tuhey will be That's coming right. on the show. Um, so he was also the director of amateur scouting for the Arizona Coyotes up until 2020. He did that for um, six years. So we've got some cool different guests coming on. So definitely stay tuned and also check out that uh, bonus episode with Dave Capuano that we released. It will, will have been two days ago. Yeah. So check it all out. We've got tons of content. Thank you guys very much. Take all right. Care. Thank you. Have a good one.